Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, South London. You can visit us at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org. Okay, it's good to see you all. And um, if you are visiting us for the first time, can I just let you know that while the whole group have been away um, in Jamaica or family have been away in India or we've had a group away in the retreat at the retreat in Austria we've been doing a small mini series in um, the gospel of Luke Luke chapter 15 and as we've been doing this small mini series in Luke 15 we have considered how Luke chapter 15 is one parable but it has three movement movements and We've looked at the first two movements, and so today we'll be looking at the third movement, which is commonly known as the parable of the prodigal son, or the wasteful son. But as we will consider today, it should be better known as the parable of the gracious father. The the third movement is the gracious father, or the joyous father. And I say this because as we actually look at the scriptures in depth, we'll see that the Lord places greater emphasis on the grace of the father as opposed to the sinlessness or the sinfulness of the son. Now, before we actually look at this third movement of this one parable, there are three things that we have to take into account when we look at Luke chapter 15. And... We have to take these things into account because these things keep it within its context of its cultural setting. And these three things are shame, honor, and culture. Shame, honor, culture. And I say this because these things dominated Eastern culture. In Eastern culture, you basically did and you pursued what was honorable And you avoided at all costs all things that would bring shame to you as an individual or would bring shame to your family. And so this is why in the first two movements what we looked at, it would have been shameful for the shepherd to lose one of the sheep and then return empty-handed. Because this would have communicated to others that he couldn't be trusted. He was a foolish shepherd. It would have been shameful for the woman to admit that she had lost one of her silver coins. Because, again, this would have communicated to others that she was careless. And now we will see a son gone astray in rebellion due to his own desire to fulfill his own wants. And so we have these three things, which we need to just keep at the back of our minds as we're going through this. And generally, we need to keep in our minds as we look at the scriptures. We have to place ourselves within the context of the culture because it was not necessarily written to a Western audience. And so we have shame, 
honour and culture because they were dominant factors. And so in this third movement, which we're going to look at today, Jesus invents a range of shameful characters. And he does this in order to show these religious leaders that because they were steeped in culture, because they were steeped in tradition and religion, they didn't know God. And they didn't understand God's goodness and God's grace. And so we have verse 11. And for the sake of time, because we've got a lot to get through today, um, as opposed to just to reading through the text and then going through it and just going through it step by step, what we're going to do is we're going to kind of go through it step by step and then start analyzing as we go through. You all pretty much know the story of the prodigal son or the gracious father. And so, verse 11 says, Then he said, Jesus said, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And it's funny how um, the young people are in, in, this, in, in this lesson today as well, because... You know, young people know about um, youngers, olders, tinies. And here we have two sons, a younger and an older. So maybe you can relate to this as well. Anyway, he says, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. Now, within Jewish culture, it was possible for a father to... distribute his wealth to his sons within his lifetime if he chose to do it. But 99.9% of the time, a father's wealth would only be distributed to his children after his death. When this happened, the older son would get the larger portion of the wealth because he was the firstborn and then Subsequently, it would be divided between, amongst the other children. And Jewish families honored this because it was part of the law, it was part of their culture. So, in these first two verses, verse 11 and 12, what the Lord is actually describing straight away is a shameful, rebellious younger son. A son who, being the youngest was out of rank. He had no right to even approach the father and say, give me my portion. He was the younger son. But he wasn't just shameful. He was literally out of order because what this younger son was literally saying to his father was, I wish that you were dead. I want your money And I want the benefits which come with having your wealth. But you know what? I no longer want to sit under your authority. Just give me what is mine and let me do my own thing. Any parents hearing their children say something similar? (laughs) Now, I'm going to try and keep this within 
its context in the sense that we remember Jesus was responding to a complaint made by the Pharisees that he ate with sinners. And so he's, he starts saying this parable, which has three, three movements to it. And so he invents this shameful character, this son. And upon hearing this, the crowd would have been thinking, wow, Jesus, this is, this is very shameful. This is a shameful son. And in their minds, the correct, the correct response would have been for the father to just get the son, spank him, set him straight and say, look, know your place. Even if he went as far as flogging him publicly, the father would have been right in doing that because he would have been maintaining his honor. <laughs> but what we hear from Jesus is that the father doesn't argue with his younger son. <laughs> what does he do? He divided to them Mark that, plural, he divided to them his livelihood. So, Jesus is describing that both sons got their portion. So, the son initially acted shamefully, and then the father, if you can picture it, he responds shamefully. It's all a picture of shame. The father acted shamefully because he had abandoned his own honor and gave in to the shameful request of his son. In the eyes of the Pharisees, Jesus was describing a picture of a weak-willed father who was not protecting what should have been protected. He was describing a shameful and disrespectful younger son. And also, let's not forget, he was describing an absent older brother who had a duty to set a good example for his younger brother. The older brother should have intervened and said, what? What are you talking about? Hey, come here. I need to tell you how family business works. But no. Silence. Verse 13. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. Wow. We've got to stop there. Not many days after. What does this mean? This means that the younger son had to take all the wealth that the father had given to him. And you think about it. It wasn't just an American Express. It wasn't cash. We're talking about livestock, real estate, jewelry, clothing, da-da, 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 da-da. And he would have to liquidate all those assets quickly, not, not many days after. 
And we see that Jesus described this family as being rich because if you, if you move down to verse um, 30, you know, it says that they killed a fatted calf. We see that he had robes. He was given a ring. He had shoes. And so this was a picture of a wealthy family. And this type of wealth would have taken generations to establish. So to liquidate it and to turn it into cash in such a short period of time could only mean that the son would have to have sold his inheritance cheaply. And we need to think about that. And we need to see that he didn't appreciate the true value of the wealth. Wow. How many times do we act in the same way? We do not appreciate the wealth and the riches which God the Father has given to us as his children. How many times does our actions indicate that we willfully sell our inheritance cheaply only because of our own selfish desires? First Peter chapter 3 says that we have been begotten again to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away and it's reserved in heaven for you, for me. But so easily we can just not see the value of that. We can cheapen it and cast it aside. So as the crowd were listening to the Lord, again, they're thinking, this is just too shameful. Who would take such wealth and just get rid of it cheaply? But Jesus continued, and he described how the younger son journeyed to a far-off country. And again, in the Jewish mind, this was unheard of because Israel was the Holy Land. Who would want to leave the Holy Land? Who would want to contaminate themselves by leaving the Holy Land and going into Gentile country? Because that is how they thought. If they left the Holy Land on returning, what they would do is they would shake the dust off their feet and thank God that he had returned them back home safely. So... Jesus is describing this younger son as journeying to a far country and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living, wasteful living. He thought, he thought that, you know, the money was on tap, an endless supply. And again, verse 30 adds that he wasted his possessions on harlots. So we're getting this picture of this guy, this younger son, living in the fast lane without a care. He was out there, out on road with his so-called friends, partying, getting drunk and sleeping around. 
And while he had money, he thought he was okay. And again, we can look at this and see that some things just don't change. People, especially young people today, generally act in this way. How we have a culture of young people rebelling against their parents because I just want to do my own thing in it. You can't tell me what to do. I want my own way. They want to be on road. They want to party. They want to get drunk or smoke or engage in some form of sexual immorality. And in many situations, they do this until they get into a desperate situation. Until they despair. And this is exactly what happened to this younger son. Verse 14. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to want. Here begins the downward spiral of this son. He spent all he had. He had nothing. And then there arose a famine in the land. But not just a famine, a severe famine. And, you know, we in the West, we, we, we don't appreciate a famine or a severe famine. We can't appreciate We can't comprehend that with 24-hour Sainsbury's. We cannot comprehend that when we just go to our kitchen and turn on a tap. This is foreign to us. We read these words, but we don't appreciate these words. A severe famine, that is where people have nothing, nothing to eat. A famine. We live in a wasteful society where everything we need is at hand and we just take it all for granted. But this young man was now in want. And it took a severe famine to get his attention. Maybe the Lord is bringing a severe famine in your life because he wants your attention. Verse 15, and I, I hope you got your Bibles open and you're just following along with me. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. <laughs> he was in want... So what does he try to do? He tries to attach himself to someone. And perhaps Jesus was bringing a, an illusion, alluding to one of those party friends who he thought was his friend. When they were raving, when they were drinking, when they were smoking, when they were checking gyal on roads, we're brethren. Mm, but now, oh, you got nothing. Oh, no. Oof. 
Maybe we're not brethren. But I thought, I thought, yeah, you thought. So he attached himself to a citizen of that country. And the word attach here is a Greek word called kaleo, which means to stick like glue. He tried to stick like glue to a citizen of the country. But that citizen of the country couldn't wait to brush him off. Couldn't wait to send him and say, well, okay, we'll go in the field. I just want to get rid of you. And in this, he demonstrated the true level of their friendship. And it's very interesting because working with young people and I see how these guys move in their little gangs and their groups and everything and it's like, yeah, it's my bridging. I can't snitch on a man and you know what? Yeah, we're tight and everything. I said, okay, well, do you know his surname? <laughs> you know, what, what, what does this person like, you know? What's their favorite color? What do they like to eat apart from Maxim's chicken and chips? You know, what do you know about this person apart from you maybe live in the same block, you're roughly the same age, you all wear black, grey or blue Nike because that's the only colours I see them wearing. What, what, what is it what you know about each other? What is it which is keeping you in such tight friendship that you can't snitch in each other? What is it? Where, help me. Because when push comes to shove... You're really going to be looking out for your own thing. And it's interesting because many of the people who, well, 90% of the people who I went to school with, who I moved with when I was a teenager, I don't see them anymore. So what is this allegiance I'm trying to hold on to? What is it based upon? Oh, is it based upon because we smoke together, we drink together, we rave together? Is that it? Because I know when a severe famine comes, you're gone. You don't want to know me. And so he couldn't wait to brush him off. And you know, maybe some of us have experienced a similar thing. So-called friends. In times of need, you thought they would be there for you. You thought that they would support you and, you know, just come alongside. But then, they're not to be seen. Or maybe, in this scenario, you're one of those unbearable people. You may not think you're unbearable, but you're one of those unbearable people that you just like to attach yourself to, some, to people. And people are like, oh, I can't wait. Oh, just, oh, go away. There's all sorts in the kingdom. Amen? The Lord is in the business of framing and chipping away our character. Some of us are like that. Let's not lie. Let's, not, let's be truthful here. But we need to be made into his image and his likeness. That's the whole point. That's the whole point of looking into the mirror of God's word so that we look at it and say, yeah, the word's right, I'm wrong. I need to change to the word. 
let me not, Lord, forget what I look like as I, as I leave the mirror of your word. And the fact of the matter is, and the truth of the matter is, if you fall into any of those two categories, you don't need a friend, you need a saviour. You need the Lord, because the Lord is the one who's going to help you through these situations. That's who you need. I'm not trying to say there's no, no roles for friends, because obviously there is. So, the younger son got sent. He got sent into the fields. And if you can follow it, he is now doing for a stranger exactly what he was not prepared to do for his father. He had to work. I don't want to work. Give me what is mine and let me be gone. Now you're working. Ooh. But what type of work was he doing? Feeding swine. Picture it. The crowd is listening as Jesus is uttering these words. And they're thinking, no, 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 Jesus, what are you talking about? Come on now. No respectful Jewish person, no respectful Jewish boy would stoop so low as to be caught in a field feeding swine. Jesus, you're just taking this parable too far. But I love Jesus because he didn't stay there. He took off the gloves. Like, All right. He took it a step further. And he says how, verse 16, he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate and no one gave him anything. He was in the field with the pigs and now he desired to eat what the pigs ate because he was so hungry. Jesus, this is too shameful. This is too dishonorable. And if you can picture it and if you can remember, <laughs> the, the whole parable was given because of a complaint from the Pharisees that Jesus did what? He ate with tax collectors and sinners. And I said that when you ate with someone in the Eastern culture, it means that you affirmed them. It means that you came in agreement with them. Who's he coming in agreement with? Pigs. Swine. It's not funny. Because of his self-will, his selfishness, his wantonness, his desire to get his own way, he went astray, and now he desired to share a meal with swine. And Jesus invented this character to show, to, and, and to show his audience, to, to bring the picture to his audience that this is exactly what sin does in the life of those who reject the Father's will. Left unchecked, sin will only bring you down and 
down and down and down until there's no way up if you do not find a savior. The younger son thought that by leaving the father and all that the father represented, that he would find himself. I'm going to find myself. But he only lost himself. Jesus says in John chapter 12 and verse 25, he says, He who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. (laughs) He thought that by getting his own will, he was getting freedom. I'm free to do my own thing. But he was only getting slavery and bondage and again Jesus says in John chapter a most assuredly you can put this in the bank I say to you whoever commits sin is a slave to sin and a slave does not abide in the house forever but a son abides forever therefore if the son makes you free what's the rest You shall be free indeed. So the pods, he's in the field, he's with the swine, the swine are eating and he's looking at the pods and the pods are looking tasty. Probably he was thinking, oh, a little bit of salt and pepper, a little bit of peri-peri. Oh, bit of seasoning going on. But the thing about pods is that pigs pigs can digest pods. Humans cannot digest pods. So even if he wanted to eat the pods, he couldn't. And knowing that even if he thought he couldn't eat them, but he still chose to eat the pods anyway... They would have just made him so sick. There was no benefit to him whatsoever. But again, let's notice here that he was prepared to eat stuff that he was not designed to eat. And this is, for me, an interesting thought to meditate on for a while. Because we as human beings can get to the point that we are so far apart from God and that we are prepared to feed on things that are not good for us. Things that we are not designed for. You think about people who are dependent on alcohol or drugs Dependent on those things. Were we designed to be dependent on those things? No. But individuals waste their lives on drugs, on alcohol, on other vices, which we were not designed for. And so verse 17 says, 
But when he came to himself, <laughs> he came to himself, which indicates that before this point, he was not being himself. He was not thinking sanely. In fact, his thinking was insane. And again, this is exactly what sin does. It gets individuals thinking and acting in an insane way, even to the point that you would start thinking and acting like an animal. That you would think and act against the very nature of God whose image we are created in. And as Jesus just starts sharing this, you know, perhaps their thoughts would have gone back to the lost coin. Coins have images on it. Rend unto Caesar what is due unto Caesar. Rend unto God what is due. Oh, well, the coin is made in Caesar's image, but we are made in God's image. Okay. Maybe they were alluding back to that. But it continues, it says, but come into himself. In the depths of his despair, he remembered his father. Wow. And he saw his father in a different light. He remembered that his father was more than generous. And this gave him a glimmer of hope. A glimmer of hope because, indeed, it is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. So he came to himself and remembered that even the hired servants had enough to spare. And hired servants were day laborers. They were the lowest class of workers in that day. And he remembered that the lowest class workers were treated well by his father. He remembered that his father, therefore, had compassion on the poor. He remembered that his father was sympathetic. He remembered that his father was good. So he said in verse 18, I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Interesting. No longer is it give me, now it's make me. Jesus was now beginning to describe to the crowd that this younger son was now on the road to repentance. But the problem was that he viewed repentance in the wrong way. He thought that he could earn his position back. He didn't understand that it is by grace we have been saved through faith. And not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's a gift. 
and not of works, lest anyone should boast. He couldn't earn it back. It had to be given to him. So he began to rehearse what he would say to his father. And within this, we see the respect for his father returning and being evident within his mind. He admitted that his sin was first and foremost against heaven. And this is because ultimately, all sin is against God. David says in Psalm 51, Against you and you alone have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Against you and you alone have I sinned. He's thinking correctly now. He's on the road coming back to his father. Not quite there yet, but along the right process. And so verse 20 says, And he arose and came to his father, which is good because he didn't just think about it, he did something about it. It's no good just thinking about doing something. It's until you start putting the wheels in motion that you see the benefits of that. He put his thoughts into action. He said, I will arise. I will go. I will say. I will arise. I will go. I will say. And at this stage, he thought that if his father was willing to accept him back, he would be happy to be treated just as a, a hired servant. Father, you don't have to treat me like a son. Just, just treat me like one of those hired servants who you pay daily so that I can have enough to eat. And he thought in this way because this was the way Eastern culture thought. Eastern culture is basically based upon a legalistic system which demanded that you restored and you paid back what you took. You paid back every penny which was squandered. And maybe at the end of that, you could have full restitution maybe Matthew 18 is that where the judge and he's sent into prison until he pays back in full everything he took that is eastern culture and so as Jesus is explaining this Sharing this stage of the parable, the crowd, again, you can't forget the crowd. The crowd are thinking, the cheek of it. This dirty, because he would have been dirty. This smelly, this smelly, and this disrespectful and shameful son, thinking that he could do all this, squander his father's good and his wealth, and that he could just come back to the house as if nothing happened. No, no, Jesus, that can't happen. 
And they would have been thinking in their mind, right, the next stage of this parable is going to be where we see, yes, he's going to get his. Because as he journeyed back, and as he entered into the village, the villagers would have saw him and said, yes, the son's returned. Let us uphold the honor of the father. Let us stone him. That was the requirements of the law. Deuteronomy chapter 21 and verse 18. If you want to turn there, you can, but I will read it. If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and who, when they have chastened him, will not heed them, then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of his city, to the gates of the city, and they shall say to the elders of this city, this son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of his city shall stone him to death with stones. So you shall put away the evil from among you and all Israel shall hear and fear. That's the law. Youngsters, aren't you glad that we're not living under the law anymore? <laughs> Woo! So let's think about it. Let's picture it again. If he was aware of the law, he would have known that going back to the father's house, he was taking a chance. There's no guarantee he was going to be accepted back into the family or accepted back as a hired servant. There's no guarantees there. And so Jesus continues and says, but when he was still a great way off, a great way off, his father saw him, which tells you what? His father must have been looking for him. Not just looking, just standing around, looking a, far, a great far off. His father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the Greek word for kissed him means literally he kissed and he kissed and he kissed and he kissed him. Again, imagine the crowd's response. I can imagine them if they had any hair, pulling their hair out, thinking, no, Jesus, what are you talking about? This is just getting ridiculous now. It's just too shameful. I don't know how many times I've used the word shameful today, but I'm going to keep hitting it. It's too shameful. No, that isn't what should happen. It's too shameful, Jesus. A shameful father a shameful son, and there is no one protecting the honor of the family. And so Jesus, Jesus is just totally flipping the script of culture, of honor, of shame. He's Totally getting them to see the father in a different light. 
He describes the father as one who was looking into the distance daily, waiting and longing for his son to return. Why? Because he is rich in mercy. His compassions, they fail not. They are new every morning. New every morning. Great is thy faithfulness, O God. Great is thy faithfulness. The father ran to his son. And again, because we're not familiar with Eastern culture, men just didn't run in Eastern culture. It was just too disrespectful, too shameful. And as we know from Eastern culture, the honor is in covering. Covering. Neck to ankles to wrists. And even the robe which they wore had a name in the Greek name, can't remember it, but it gives the impression, this which gives me honor. And so for him to run, he's not just running. He's sprinting. And in order, again, if you can picture the robing, he would have to gather up those robes, saw his son and he's going for it. He sprints to his son and he showers his son with genuine affection. He, want, he, he desires to embrace his son. But more than this, he's also protecting his son from the villagers and the requirements of the law. And by doing this, the father was shifting the shame from the son onto himself. And the father becomes the seeker. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. The son tried to spit out the speech that he had been rehearsing. <laughs> but verse 22, but the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. <laughs> the father was so overjoyed that his son had come home that he didn't even allow him to finish his speech. He took control of the situation and demonstrated that you're my beloved son. The father said, bring out the best robe. And again, if you know anything about the robes, the robe, the best robe in the house would have belonged to the father. So the son was getting his father's robe. And the robe is a picture of the robe of righteousness.
The robe was also a picture of dignity. So the father's saying, I'm giving you your dignity back. He was given a ring which symbolizes authority and sandals which is interesting because sandals were never ever given to servants or slaves but only to family members and um, um, sandals meant that he would have the full privileges of the house you'd have to stay out there like one of the hired servants come back into the house And then he says, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. And the fatted calf, you know, this would have taken years to nurture. Years to feed. Years to beef up. Did you like that, beef up? And it would have only been slaughtered on very special occasions. But this was a special occasion. The father desired to be merry with his family. And the whole village were going to eat and share in his joy and his celebration. And he says, for my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. So they had a party. And each movement, we saw that something was lost, something was sought after, something was found, and then we had the end result of rejoicing. But this party was not given in honor of the sun. This party was given in honor of the Father because of his compassion and because of his grace. The younger son was totally restored back into the family. He was dead in that he was lost. He was made alive again in that he was found. And again, the end result was rejoicing. And so... What Jesus did here was he invented this younger son. And this younger son represented the worst case scenario of a sinner. And the whole point was that this was the type of person that kept coming to Jesus. The poor, the dirty, the smelly, the sick, the lame, tax collectors, sinners, harlots, riffraff. They were the ones who kept coming to Jesus. And the father was prepared to seek after them like lost sheep. Or pursue after them like a lost coin. And forgive the worst of the worst. By showering them with compassion. And restoring them back into his family with rejoicing. 
And Jesus was basically saying, this is why I sit and eat with sinners. This is why I receive sinners unto myself. And by the end of this third movement, the tax collectors and sinners, they could see this new image of God. This new revelation of God. We don't, ooh, we don't know God to be like that. God is full of judgment. If we don't do the right thing, he's going to strike us down. He's going to open up the earth and swallow us up. No. Jesus showed them that God is good. God is gracious. Jesus helped them to understand the work of the Son in the first movement. The ongoing activity of the Spirit in the second movement. And again, now the graciousness and the joy of the Father in this third movement. But he wasn't finished. Verse 25, now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called to one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And the servant said to him, your brother has come. And because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. Now, you would expect him to say, my brother's here. Wow, yeah, where is he? No. Jesus reintroduced the older brother into the third movement of the parable. And the Pharisees and the scribes knew that he was speaking about them. The older brother was in the field. So, yeah, he was faithfully working for his father. But the problem was that he had no relationship with the father. And this is why when he heard the music and the dancing, where did he get his information from? The servant. If he had relationship with the father, he just came come into the house and say, oh, dad, what's going on? Oh, you're here. Wow. No. He had no relationship with the father. And the father had no relationship with him. Because if the father did have a relationship with him, he would have sent one of his servants into the field and said, go get your brother. Go, go call him because his, bro his, his younger brother's back. But no. The father didn't send for him because he was religiously working in the field. trying to earn favor and blessing and never having time to enjoy the blessings of being a son in the house. And it goes on to say in verse 20, but he was angry. That's not the response to have when your brothers come home, when there's a party going on. He was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out. And pleaded with him. The older brother was so angry about the celebration that he would not go into the house 
to join in with his family. He was there in the sulking outside because his father received his brother back. So, who takes the initiative? Who takes the initiative and comes out to plead with the older son? It is the father. The father takes the initiative. And in verse 29, you can imagine the conversation. And he's trying to say, come in, son. Enjoy. The, older, the older son speaks in his anger and he says, Father, lo, these many years I've been serving you and never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I may make merry with my friends. In other words, he was saying, look at all that I have been doing for you all these years. I've kept the letter of the law. I've been working and you've done nothing for me. In an opening verses, did he not get his portion of the inheritance? Was he not working in his father's field? Was he not enjoying the benefits of being in the father's house, having food every day and clothing? Oh, but I've done nothing for you. Okay. The father wasn't actually thinking like that, but... He continues, but as soon as this son of yours, not his brother, this son of yours came, who, who has devoured your livelihood. Look what he's done. With harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. See, the older brother had no room for grace and no room for compassion. He had no sense of care or concern for his brother's welfare. All he had was anger. And the Bible does say, you know, be angry, but don't sin. He's gone beyond that. He's sinning. His whole attitude is horrible. Where the tax collectors and sinners were guilty of outward sins of the flesh, the Pharisees and the scribes were guilty of the inward sins of hypocrisy. The younger brother was caught up in looseness, but the older brother was caught up in legalism. And so the father tenderly replies, and it's lovely how Jesus describes this. And he said to him, son, you are always with me. And all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad. Why? For your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. The natural reaction to losing something and then finding it should be rejoicing. 
the Pharisees and the scribes were not rejoicing that Jesus received sinners unto himself and that he ate with them. The natural reaction when a sheep was found was to rejoice. The natural reaction when you, you, the coin was lost was to rejoice. And we all know this. When we lose our keys or we lose something, it's like maybe we don't even want it there and then, but we're like, I've lost something. I just want to find it. We get all tense inside and we're like, I need to find it. Now, if we feel like that, how does the father feel about his children who are lost and who have gone astray? What the younger son experienced and the older son had to learn in the parable was that the father's righteousness and blessings are given only according to his grace. And they're only given for his glory. For by grace we have been through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of, not of, come on people, you know what it says. Not of, lest anyone should boast. The graciousness of the Father. And so the parable ends. And, you know, as we've looked at these things, maybe through foolishness you're not walking straight with the Lord. Maybe through carelessness you've lost your way. Maybe because your own selfishness and wantonness, you've gone astray. Let us take note that the Father is indeed gracious. He is there looking a, a great far off to see if you or I would return. And as we return, he is there ready to shower us with genuine affection, falling on our necks, kissing us. I mean, you think about having a little baby and you just want to kiss them and kiss them and kiss them. Those little chubby cheeks. That's how the father feels about when one of his lost children returns unto him in repentance. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word because your word is true. We thank you for the depths and the riches of your word, Lord, because in your word, Lord, it's like we can get to a point where it seems like you're beyond knowing, beyond finding out, Lord, but also within your word, Lord Jesus, it, it, you're, you're just so knowable. We can see your love and your compassion, your gentleness, Lord. We thank you, Lord Jesus, because we need your grace. We need your mercy. And truly, Lord, because we fail you so often, Lord Jesus, thank you that it is new every morning. <laughs> new every morning. Great 
is your faithfulness, Lord Jesus. So help us, Lord, not to sell, you know, this great wealth of, of grace, Lord, cheaply. Help us to see our true value and our true worth within you, Lord Jesus, so that we can represent you well and live for you well. Thank you for this time, Lord Jesus, and continue just to speak to our hearts and minds. In Jesus' name.